This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise. I'm Lois Griffiths. For today's program, Martin and I are honored to once again have the opportunity to be talking with Benoit Kempmark, Senior Lecturer in the School of Global, Urban, and Social Studies, it sounds fascinating, at RMIT Melbourne. Benoit writes widely in several websites, including Counterpunch. We've been aware of a disturbing, very serious issue that is barely being brought to the public's attention, as far as I can tell. But we discovered that Benoit has written about it and was willing to discuss it with us. Lois is referring to an advanced form of spyware, a technology that I wish didn't exist, but it does, posing as a threat to independent journalists and dissidents all over the world. Welcome to Earthwise, Benoit Kampbach. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure being with you again. Well, Benoit, could you tell us, please, about an Israeli company called NSO Group. Is it part of the Israeli regime? And what sort of company is it? What does it do? Well, the uh, NSO Group is uh, one of the, uh, I suppose, that uh, has a pride of place in the private uh, industry, if you like, um, regarding the manufacturing and the making of uh, what's called spyware, which is essentially you know, malicious software that uh, is created so that once activated on your particular device, you know, very often a phone, you know, the, the modern phone being what it is, of course, with the numerous um, systems operating and so on. Once the software is activated upon the phone, it becomes essentially a surveillance device, um, uh, unbeknownst to the person using it. So you can actually just keep you know, m- making your messages, communicating with friends, you know, leaving texts and so forth, and so on, and you would not have a clue that it's been, it's been activated and there is someone else that's listening in onto it, which is, of course, very disconcerting. Um, so the specialists in making this sort of software and, or spyware uh, is the NSO group, um, which is, yes, it is a known Israeli group. It does have the approval to operate um, insofar as the Israeli government gives it licenses and uh, the Israeli government has claimed that uh, NSO Group is all above board in terms of its operations. The Israeli government would never give licenses to a company to export spyware that was used, for example, in violation of human rights or used against activists or used against dissidents. No, no, no. We're only interested in targeting criminals, uh, targeting those who work on the dark web, targeting terrorists, etc. This is, this is also the NSO Group's line, that they just simply do not let their software or their spyware be used uh, in um, these sinister ways. And sadly, and that's why we're having this conversation today, it's been shown to be very much not the case. In fact, um, they have this, this technology, which I find very weird, that they can sell. And who are they selling it to? Ah, and this is this is where, of course, it gets rather um, disturbingly interesting. Uh, the client base, uh, and you have to remember that uh, and the NSO group essentially um, has its main client.
clients and customers are essentially sovereign states. Uh, that, that's, that's his bread and butter. And uh, uh, recently it was revealed, and this is why we don't know ex- all the m- members on the list. We only have essentially leaked details that were and have been published by various journalists, citizen groups, and so on, you know, independent groups and others. Um, you know, that's the number of states uh, could be as many as 50. We're not necessarily sure, but we are definitely familiar with a certain number, roughly 10 or so, <clears throat> um, with varying ranges of human rights abuses and records on this. Uh, countries such as Bahrain and Saudi Arabia are there, which is very disconcerting. Mm. Um, countries uh, that have also um, been using this, uh, Mexico. And then you've got sort of others where countries like Morocco, where, and the Moroccan case is interesting because Morocco, Moroccan agents seem to have used NSO, um, NSO's Pegasus spyware, which is this particular spyware that's particularly, um, you know, effective at infecting phones and so on. Uh, Moroccan uh, agents have been using this to target the French. And, you know, 14 mm-hmm. ministers in Macron's government, in fact, were targeted at some point, it would seem, by Pegasus uh, spyware. So the, uh, the, the clients are varied in number, you know, and, uh, but uh, unfortunately the results seem to be the same, which is, of course, if you're going to get the spyware, you're going to use it against a friend, foe, or anyone in between. So there's still two governments. That's interesting about... Macron, I don't suppose he was very happy about that. Uh, no, no, he, he wasn't. <laughs> and then he promptly disposed of his phone. Uh, so, so this is what he said anyway. But, uh, but, but of course, the, it has to be remembered that he was but one of um, several men, heads of state supposedly caught within this ring. Um, the other one was the Pakistani um, Prime Minister Imran mm. Khan. He was also netted by, it would seem, the Pegasus byway and by a phone that seemed to have been picked up in this. So it's, it's affected essentially everybody from heads of state to uh, dissidents, uh, to journalists, to activists, and so forth. And so that's why this particular thing is very disconcerting. And I think it's, it's also worth pointing out where this impetus has come from. And it goes back to, you know, if we can go back a bit in time, not too far back in time, but to the Snowden revelations in 2013, in June 2013, when, of course, the former uh, contractor, subcontractor of the NSA, the National Security Agency, Edward Snowden, revealed uh, the extent of warrantless, global warrantless uh, surveillance being conducted by the National Security Agency and, of course, GCHQ uh, from Britain. And the results has been a push by many individuals to use encrypted technology more and more. So what governments have been doing to cope with that is to source out possibilities in the private sector, rather than government, rather than keeping it in-house, to try to buy cheaper products in the spyware industry. And that's where NSO Group comes in, because it is essentially, you know, a terrain that's unregulated and unmonitored. David Kay, the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression and Opinion, has said that this is an industry out of control. But it's an industry out of control because governments such as Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Morocco, and you name it, and any number of countries are trying to find cheap ways to spy on their citizens, their foes, and so forth. So, you know, hence 
the presence of Pegasus. Now, I read that India too. Does um, Imran Khan know what was who was able to um, use the spyware against his cell phone? I mean, would it be well, somebody I mean, from India? But I, I assume. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> well, of course, you know that's the usual assumption. <laughs> you know, if there's an issue with Pakistan, and you know, it's usually the assumption that it must be the uh, the Indians doing the spying and so on. And uh, I think there's there's a fair suggestion that's probably the case. But you have to also remember that it could be any number of, uh, of uh, Imran Khan's opponents, you know, who would also they would like mm-hmm. to get hold of it. You know, he's it's not just uh, pointing the figure um, at the Indian government or any officials there. The fact is that, you know, and that's the problem with these things is that it's once this is out there, once this uh, software is made available and handy to use in devices, it's it could be used against anybody, um, and that's really the problem, and that's the. You know, because precisely because there's no regulation to speak of, um, and and also it has to be said, it's it's very problematic because it exploits vulnerabilities within operating systems. So, for example, Apple has been particularly vulnerable to Pegasus and particularly vulnerable uh, to um, the uh, the various products of the NSO group. So, I think it's you know, the, usually when these things happen, these tech companies are notified to patch what's called patching their system. But, um, of course, it's not in the interest of either the NSO group or those who use it to alert these companies to those you know, vulnerabilities. You know, because, of course, that shuts off a door by which they can actually seek encrypted communications. So it overall leads to a decline in computer safety and security, and of course, is um, destructive to privacy and private communications. I was just going to say that there is becoming no such thing as privacy anywhere in the world, in whatever you're yeah, using. Yeah, yes, indeed. It's, it's becoming even harder and harder to envisage it. And although, of course, I, I am still one of the uh, rapidly diminishing breed of individuals who makes the point that uh, just because the state of technology gallops um, and sprints away like that. There's no reason why the law and legal regulation shouldn't try to catch up, even though they're sort of left, uh, you know, struggling in the distance. I think there's a very famous, remarkably um, for, for in legal circles, a very famous uh, paper from the late 19th century by, you know, by um, the uh, Supreme Court, soon or rather future Supreme Court Justice, um, you know, Brandeis, you know, and this colleague Samuel Warren, uh, and uh, it was about privacy, written in the Harvard Law Review. And in that, and we have to remember, it was the age of the telegram. It was the age where technology was also sprinting and galloping ahead. It was the Internet of the age. And they were saying that even in this time when you can communicate more rapidly than ever, when you can access material more quickly than ever before, there should be a right to privacy. There should be protections in place. And I, I, I think that you know, it's so important to keep realizing that this is more essential than ever and to pursue. Can we just um, spell it out specifically an example of what makes this such a dangerous technology? It's, I mean, you have your cell phone. You don't know that it's being taken over by mm. an outside force. This has actually put some people in danger, hasn't it? Yes, well, I, one example, <clears throat> of course, NSA Group denies this to be the case. It should be said, NSA has denied this on several occasions, but uh, 
But uh, their form on this is not very good. They've been shown to be rather mendacious in several points. But uh, the, the important link, for example, and this is certainly one of the more prominent ones, there are uh, numerous other instances I could tell you, you know, recently in July, for example, the Pegasus Project, which is uh, essentially an enterprise of Forbidden Stories, the Forbidden Stories Network, which I recommend your listeners to look at, is a essentially a group of um, publishing houses, media outlets, and journalists who have looked at this, uh, <clears throat> you know, the various uh, impacts and effects of the Pegasus software, and uh, they have identified somewhat of uh, upward of 180 journalists who have been targeted. Mm. And, and these journalists, uh, anybody ranging from, you know, Azerbaijan to Mexico um, and so forth. But the very prominent one, um, and this is uh, connected with a journalist who paid with his life uh, in the um, Saudi consulate uh, in, in Turkey, Istanbul. And that's, of course, uh, that of Kamal Shashogi, who was uh, well, quite gruesomely carved up by a hit squad of the uh, Saudi royal family. Of course, since then, the Saudi royal family, marked by such great reformers as Mohammed bin Salman, supposedly claimed that they really weren't meant to do that. But uh, the point about uh, where the link of um, the NSO group comes in and Pegasus and so forth is that uh, communications between Khashoggi and his various contacts, notably one being Omar Abdul Aziz, uh, who's based in the United Arab Emirates, um, but also a dissident, uh, Aziz is under the impression, in fact, he's almost convinced that his communications were intercepted. His phone was, in fact, infected by Pegasus software during the time he was communicating with Khashoggi. And, of course, Saudi Arabia is a client of, NSO, of the NSO group, and Saudi Arabia uses Pegasus software and has used it. So, you know, you know dotting um, the I's, crossing the T's, so the conclusion reached was, that Saudi Arabian uh, officials were listening in, taking details and so forth, knew what Khashoggi was up to, and then, well, planned the deed. Uh, so um, it's worth also noting that uh, Aziz, Abdul Aziz has actually filed a lawsuit in the Israeli courts trying to pursue uh, liability in the context of, of course, his loss of privacy. And it's worth noting that um, the NSA group is facing several lawsuits over its use of the software. So it's worth noting that it's not everything is not all going in its way. There is uh, also a, a legal drive afoot to deal with that. You're listening to Earthwise, broadcasting in Christchurch on Plains FM 96.9, in Hamilton on Free FM, and in Waikanae on Coast Access Radio. Today's guest is Benoit Kampmark, Senior Lecturer in the School of Global Urban and Social Studies at RMIT Melbourne, and we're talking about Pegasus spyware developed and sold by an Israeli company called NSO. Yes, I've read that um, Pegasus is a powerful tool, perhaps the most powerful piece of spyware ever developed by a private company. How was this discovered? How was it get exposed, what was actually going on? Yes, well, uh, it's the NSO group's um, handiwork has been on the radar for some time. The, uh, I know, for example, that... Uh, Amnesty, the Amnesty um, Group's uh, Citizen Lab, um, in conjunction with um, other groups, uh, have been working on 
this project for some years, and uh, it was already, you know, in the late, so so essentially for the last six to seven years, these kind of things have been circulating. So, because there's been simple suspicion about the fact, well, how on earth could this sort of information be getting out from secure platforms? Um, and it seemed very evident that uh, so journalists have been remarking about this, activists have been doing the same, wondering, well, the only way that... <laughs> that uh, they could know, when I say they, whoever was using or um, accessing data was actually using the phone itself, it's as if they were using the phone. So, And that's the, the most disturbing thing of all, um, is that effectively all the way through their work, when they were sending details and so on, it was essentially being you know, intercepted. And I think it's important to note how serious this is. It's not just, you know, identity, simple call identity numbers and all that. It's actual content. You can actually access all the contents of the phone through the system. And that's why it is, it is very powerful and uh, incredibly troubling in terms of its operations. It's just, I just can't get it around my head. It sounds so bizarre, sort of dystopia kind of information. Um, so the... Uh, they can use this this technology will actually be having a chilling or they can stop journalists from saying they don't want to say it also stop polit political dissidents and uh, what what could be done and this can't go on surely well the, there are various moves afoot about uh, so th these of course will be the traditional ones that uh, some will some will sneer at and say that uh, well there's not really much you know, much to be done in that you know, in this wild frontier. But uh, there, there is, there has to be some kind of international effort to regulate this industry because it is essentially not being regulated at all. There's nothing to speak of. And David Kay, who I've mentioned already, is very much uh, an individual who, you know, who submits reports regularly to the Human Rights uh, Committee in the UN. And it is very important, you know, from his perspective, that there needs to be, at the very least, a moratorium on the development of these things and development of such spyware because, you know, there's no, there's no context in terms of where these are going and how these are being used because they are essentially indiscriminately being used. The only thing that matters you know, for a company like NSO Group is that, okay, well, you know, you, the, the client, the sovereign state uh, just gives an undertaking that they are, of course, not going to be using the spyware against anybody other than, say, drug traffickers or, you know, common criminals, etc. But of course, this is never the case. There always, you know, more more complex issues at stake here. So, more regulation in the industry. David Kay calls for a moratorium. But I think also what's significant is that uh, citizens, and um, as I touched on before. Uh, launching lawsuits against the company. So if, if you can't, if you can't rely on government intervention and uh, international regulation, one way you can do so is by filing legal actions for breaches of privacy and losses that take place in that sense. And the actions currently underway, I've already mentioned Israel, also in Cyprus. The actions that have been filed by Mexican journalists you know, in the context of them being, you know, actually their privacy being violated by this. Uh, WhatsApp actually has an ongoing claim that 1,400 of its users were targeted. 
and uh, WhatsApp has been particularly aggressive in trying to get back at NSO at the NSO group, um, uh, saying that uh, it has also been a subject of interest uh, by those using Pegasus. So, the, if these things start gaining traction, and um, NSO group will have very little choice than to impose more regulations and restrictions about it. But as for the group itself, it is in the business of making money. Um, governments want what it sells, and uh, very sadly, the, uh, this is very appealing. And as I said in the post-Snowden age, uh, governments have been trying to find back doors to, you know, and trying to make, for example, big tech companies such as Apple manufacture these back doors. And because Apple... A company like Apple has been so resistant. The second best alternative then is okay. We will we will find something from the private sector to break those doors down, and that's that's where NSO Group comes in. Does this need to be some <laughs> international shutdown on all of this technology? It's it's quite scary to me. You can just um, inspire on dissidents and journalists. Yes, and what sort of a world? This isn't the sort of world we want. Yes, well, exactly. And we have to remember, um, NSO Group is the most prominent one. They're, they're the ones that, that they have developed these kind of things, but uh, they're by no means the only ones. Uh, the, the point, there's so many things at play here. There's economic, the, the economic incentive, because these, you know, relatively speaking to other types of software that would be used by in-house by government, so these are, very, these are considerably cheaper to acquire. So there's the economic incentive to acquire them. There's also the security incentive of just using it against anybody governments don't like, you know, whoever they might be. And then, of course, the um, and the other thing too is the the sense of impunity. So, you know, until companies such as the NSO Group and uh, it's by one of many that operate in this field, it's just NSO Group's more notorious. Um, until they realise they can't operate with impunity, we're going to see more stories of a disturbing nature, and some of them are particularly grim in the context of how people go about their work and challenge or have different opinions regarding the regime of the day. Well, it's quite a story. I think it's something that we need to hear more about. I know Edward Snowden has spoken out about the danger of this sort of technology. It just needs to be stopped. Yes, indeed, absolutely. It is a very, uh, it is very critical. Um, it is incredibly dangerous, and and of course, it's very much a product of the age because uh, people have concentrated so much of their lives into these devices, you know, into you know their phone and so forth. And for that very reason, just accessing a phone is accessing a life, quite literally, accessing a person's life, their opinions, their existence, financially, ideologically privately in every sense. So, yes, it is a very critical question to ask about, you know, reining in these particular, you know, um, companies and the way they operate. So it is, it is very critical, one of the crucial questions we should be asking now. Well, our time's almost up. It's fascinating talking to you, and uh, I do appreciate you talking to us. I assume you have a cell phone yourself. <laughs> yes, yes, I do, but, uh, but it's not a smartphone. It's, it's, uh, I've made it as dumb as possible. Yeah. Oh, I bet uh, I'm dumb. But my, dumb, my cell phone is dumber than yours. Anyway, if... if, if <laughs> Good, we can have a competition then about that. <laughs> <laughs> if there'd been time, we would have asked you something about um, AUKUS. 
Well, yes, I mean, we can talk about AUKUS now if you want quickly. I I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, we can talk about it at another interview. It's fine by me. It's up to you. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a topic, isn't it? It's part of this this modern world that I think there's there's power somewhere that we haven't really nailed down. Well, yes, I'm very happy to talk about in your next, for your next program or the next, whichever one, you just let me know. I'm very happy to talk about AUKUS and what's going on there. But I can assure you, the submarines are the least of it. That's, it's certainly more than that. And I think anyone who thinks it's just about submarines has really missed the fine print about what's going on here. Yes. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking to us. I, yes. I admire people who are academic and I admire people who are publicly minded and speak out. And you're both. It's, um, we need people like you. Yeah, it's <laughs> and, uh, a pleasure. It's always a pleasure chatting to both of you. Thank you very much. Okay, you take care. Goodbye. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Martin, there's, there's so much that could be shed on this program. It was wonderful talking to Benoit about this terrible spyware. I also wanted to bring up an issue of climate because that's in the news everywhere. And there's going to be a crucial international summit on climate, COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland, in November. And this is a serious issue that affects every continent, region, and ocean. No one is safe anywhere. Yet... Although war and war preparations are major greenhouse gas emitters, that's been admitted from agreements about restoring, sorry, reducing emissions. So we hope that this time, COP26 in November, the summit demands that all greenhouse gas emissions be included in reduction standards, with no exception for military pollution. Definitely. Certainly military has to be included. It's the very Absolutely. biggest polluter of all. So from us at Earthwise, goodbye. Goodbye.